This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. A Series of Strange Occurrences by M59 Gar. Unlike in stories, mysterious events cause anger and confusion rather than terror when they happen for real. I became obsessed with the events at my old apartment building for a while as I tried to piece together some explanation, but as I reach a full year since my departure, I have to accept that I will never get closure. Posting them here is my way of releasing them into the world to become someone else's problem. Our nickname for the building in question was The Old. It was a 1920s construct, populated by a distinct mix of young college students and older couples who were mainly without children. There were five students other than myself on the top floor, and about 30 adult residents on the lower floors, so we literally called the building The Old as our way of recognizing that we felt out of place, passing gray hair working men in the stairwell. They didn't like us much either, so we tended to suffer the symptoms of the aging building without complaint. Early last December, the building's furnace broke down. It stayed off for nearly a week as the temperatures in our room dropped to freezing levels. We couldn't fathom how the older residents simply ignored the problem. That week, I often walked by the massive metal door to the furnace room in the basement, reading the asbestos warning repeatedly and wondering if I should go in to try and fix it myself. I was returning from one of these moments when I came upstairs and found warm air. I checked. The furnace was still offline. At first, I said nothing as I was just confused. The six of us spent most of our time alone in our rooms that week studying for finals. I remember, after several hours of late-night solitude, the exact moment the oddities began. I heard the voice of Andrew, the guy across the hall, speak quite clearly. I jumped and scanned the room, but I was alone. I hadn't caught his words, but his voice came again. He said, what do you mean? Perplexed, I crossed the hall and knocked on his door. He answered with a yawn and followed me to my room. He asked what the problem was, and I told him I'd heard him speak. He then said, What do you mean? His words carried the exact same tone and cadence I'd heard moments earlier. I came up with an excuse and apologized for interrupting his studies. He shrugged and left, and I decided to cut down on the caffeine. The next afternoon, I ran into him in the hall. He asked me if I'd talked in my sleep, and I laughed and asked why. He shook his head and looked confused, but didn't explain. He returned to his room while I headed down the stairwell and the subsequent incident caused me to start keeping a journal of the strange events. 
As usual, I got stuck behind a slow walker in the stairwell. He wore a suit and was obviously some sort of corporate man, his gray hair belying many years of toil. I'd seen him before. As with most of the residents, he didn't like us very much. I accidentally sighed at being stuck behind him, and he turned, giving me a look of animosity and disbelief that was oddly directed at my arm. He turned back around, muttered something, and resumed his descent at a slightly faster speed. I decided to apologize to him. Excuse me. The old man froze for a moment without looking back. I began to speak again, but he took off at a surprising speed and slammed out the old's front door. By the time I got to its small window and looked out, he was nowhere in sight. As I thought back on my polite but distant interactions with the other old people in the building, I realized that a power of fear had been hanging over them for the last several days. They had all seemed afraid of us for some reason. Each day the old grew warmer. I'd relished the ability to forego sweaters while studying, but by the weekend I was down to undershirts and verging on uncomfortable, and still the furnace was silent. I began to hear snippets of conversation and music at random intervals. I'd never had a problem hearing the other rooms before, but now I was subject to bits of old-fashioned music, overly loud conversations, and on one particularly maddening occasion, somebody's snoring. All of this seemed to originate from somewhere inside my room, though I could never pinpoint where. For his part, Andrew seemed gaunt, tired. He chalked it up to studying too hard, but he seemed to be nervous about something. I hadn't seen the other four college students in days. That Sunday night, I cornered Andrew. I told him about what I was experiencing and asked him if he'd seen or heard anything. He mumbled a single phrase before retreating to his room. Bad dreams. It left me with a chill I couldn't explain. I tried to get down to it and focus on the studying for the finals that were coming up over the coming week, but the building's creaking seemed more pronounced. The old seemed to shift with the icy winter wind, which I took advantage of through an open window. By then, the hallways were practically a sauna. At some point, I'd had enough. I was more angry than afraid and decided to start asking some questions. I'd left more than a few notes under the maintenance man's door on the first floor. My first plan was to knock on his door and get some answers. As my hand pressed against the door, it swung open. There was nothing but a brick closet beyond. Confused, I touched the old brick, smearing soot on my fingers. I even rubbed some on my journal later to keep evidence that I wasn't imagining it. And next to my feet, I found my last letter on a pile of paper remnants. I remember staring at the pile, realizing that the other letters had not been burned. They'd merely decomposed. 
I resolved to get the hell out of the old until I figured out what was going on. But the three feet of snow outside stopped me. I had no place to go, no real money. I could sit at Starbucks all day, but I'd eventually have to sleep in my own bed, and I wanted to have all the evidence I could gather. I didn't have much longer, though. I spent an hour or two knocking on the doors of other residents, but I got nothing but confusion and anger. The older residents all refused to look at me directly in the same strange manner. They seemed overly distressed every time I spoke. I gave up, more confused than ever, and knocked on the doors of the other students, but none answered. Andrew only shouted through his door, telling me to leave him alone. Miffed, I went to bed, sweating even with the window open. I awoke to the final event, the one which compelled me to leave the old at any cost. I opened my eyes and stared at the ceiling in the heated darkness. The shadows seemed to swirl in an odd manner, and I found myself focusing my sight to try and catch them. I played that strange game for a few moments until I heard a woman scream. It was a scream of pure terror, as if she was desperate to escape something that had cornered her. Worst of all, it seemed to come from inside my room. It sounded again, and then a third time. I immediately leapt up and circled the walls of my room, trying to avoid the continual terrified screaming that was loud enough to hurt my ears. I couldn't understand what the hell was going on. The spot kept moving toward me, and I stumbled in my haste to avoid the slowly approaching source of the wailing screams. I heard doors slam in the hallway. Other people had to have heard. I ran for them. In the hall, I fell and scraped my hands in response to an overwhelming wave of heat. It felt like I'd stepped into a furnace, and the dark hallway seemed empty. Where were the people I'd heard? And still, that godforsaken screaming ran out from behind my hastily closed door. I could hear it getting closer to the other side of the wood, and I backed away in horror. My back touched Andrew's door. And another voice, this one male, began shouting from behind his door. I couldn't tell if it was him but I could hear him screaming for God and salvation and crying as his door shuddered with several impacts as if someone on the other side was desperate to escape. I was forced to cover my ears to stop the pain from those two voices screaming at the top of their lungs. And another screaming voice joined them, this one from a distant room at the end of the hallway. A fourth, one long roar of agony and pain echoed from another floor. I ran. I vaulted down the stairwell, a smoky bitterness stinging my eyes and a furnace heat rushing around me. A choir of screaming voices, hundreds for all I knew, screamed and shouted and begged with the utmost imaginable human terror and agony. I pushed at the heavy front door, but it refused to budge. It seared my hands, and I fell to the floor near it, crying at my wit's end. And I looked up, and saw the little square window set in the door. I slowly stood, 
hands pressed to my ears in a futile attempt to block out the endless screams. Some wordless intuition warned me not to look through that window. A dark light sheared through it in a distinct glow that alternated green and blue. I put my hand up against the door, just as I was about to look. And I stumbled out the front door into snow, directly into the arms of a police officer. Two police cars radiated red and blue nearby in the silent chill. I saw Andrew, leaning against one of the cars, his arms curled against the cold. He seemed... worn. I looked up at the old, expecting to see smoke or fire. I saw nothing. The officer I'd run into asked me several vague questions before explaining Andrew had called them over a noise disturbance. He asked if the kid was a druggie, but I shook my head. He looked me over, probably noting my sweat and confused look, and asked me if I was one. I told him that no, I was just studying and got sick from too much caffeine and sleep deprivation. He laughed and let me go. I was going to head straight for the school library, and I was determined to stay and make calls until I got things straightened out. The cop asked me one last question as I walked away. You see any of them? I turned back to him, folding my arms close against the cold. Who? The kids. I narrowed my eyes. What kids? He gave me a strange look. The ones that did all that screaming. I shook my head, faking calm, and hurried away from the old without a single look back. In later conversations with the building's owner, I learned that he'd only rented it to college students, and only the top floor. The rest of the floors were unlivable. He didn't elaborate. I told him that we'd passed other residents every single day, but he insisted they must have been squatters. According to him, the only tenants were myself, Andrew, and two other students. Social media holds a certain terrifying power, but it's far worse than you might expect. By M59 Gar. I'm the one the world left behind. At least until you finish reading this. It wasn't that I was unremarkable. Everyone has something about them that is uniquely their own. It just so happened that my thing was floating through foster families, schools, and social situations without leaving a single mark. I was just slightly too shy to make lasting friends and just slightly too outgoing to fit in with other loners. Consequently, I ended up living with more solitude than any of them. But it was alright. Through high school and college, it was fine. Told myself that I was all good. Every dog has his day eventually, and I was just a member of those silenced masses that TV shows and movies ignore. When the football players and cheerleaders and student council representatives all graduated into the real world, 
They'd be on the same uni-filled playing field. And then I'd rise up and... I don't know what I expected, but it didn't happen. Instead, social media happened. It started innocently. MySpace in high school, Facebook followed during college, and then even Google Plus joined in. As the years passed, they taunted me with a growing sea of shame. Everyone else was happy, smiling, partying, drinking, dancing, going on vacations, having the times of their lives. What was I doing? Nothing worth noting. I had a Facebook account, and it had so-called friends I'd collected over the years with increasing desperation, but I couldn't bring myself to post anything real or substantial. A few attempts garnered no views, no likes. The night of my college graduation party, which nobody had attended despite the hundreds of invites I'd sent and the dozens that had clicked yes attending, I felt something dark bubbling beneath my heart. It was a simmering boil of pitch and bitterness that had been pooling there my entire life, and too pained to let things continue the way they'd been going, I shattered a sacred tenet. I lied. Heading out onto the streets, I found a random college party, moved into the center of the crowd, and shouted, Go team! before snapping a picture of myself surrounded by countless drunk people who had automatically sent up a whoop and a toast for the team. I ran home, and hands shaking, I posted the picture on my Facebook with the words, Graduation party's crazy. Called out. I'd get called out. I knew it. Someone would recognize these partiers, or the house, or... Or they just might not believe I would actually have friends. I drank the entire bottle of liquor I'd bought for my pitiful, unattended party. The world had ignored me this long, but being called out and humiliated would be far worse. I would have given anything to take it all back. Turning my face up, Out of a pool of my own vomit, I awoke to a groggy hangover, a painfully bright beam of sunlight, and over a thousand likes. Who knew you were such a party animal? Congrats on graduation. Woohoo, we're all adults now. When's your next one? Couldn't make it, but I'll be there next time. My god. Not only had they not called me out, they'd leapt at the opportunity to... What? What was this? They didn't want real. They didn't want substantial. They wanted to consume positivity and be made happier themselves for it. In that respect, I couldn't judge because we were a dichotomy. They wanted exciting, time-of-my-life posts, and I wanted their reactions. I'd always wanted to be noticed, and now I could be. Alone, I drove six hours to the beach and set up a bunch of pictures of myself supposedly on vacation in South America. I even asked a random girl to take a picture with me, and lo and behold, she did it without thinking and with the same fake sudden smile that everyone seemed to don when the camera came out. Who's that? You dog. South America looks so beautiful this year. Is that your girlfriend? Jealous. XOXO. 
Amazing. The ease of all this was almost ridiculous. Nobody wanted to see through the facade. Nobody wanted to call me out. This was a space of desperate positivity. That post actually resulted in my first real date in years, along with people starting to recognize me and compliment me on my supposed tan. I grew addicted. I won't lie about that. Not here and now in my confession. It was all glamorous parties, best nights of my life, and beautiful dates from then on, each staged with increasing audacity. The craziest part about it was that my fantastic online life began dragging my real one up from the depths. People high-fived me on the street, girls asked me out to drinks, and an old teacher offered me a high-paying job after seeing how well I was doing. He told me straight to my face that he thought I wouldn't amount to anything and that I'd surprised him. It was a punch in the gut, but I smiled. I shook his hand, took the job, and used it as more fuel for my growing online life. Of course, none of this really made a difference in the private hours of each day when I had to return home to my small apartment and sit by myself watching Netflix. There was nothing to do but stew in the brutal tar that my fake life had made all the more painful. I wish that these times could just go away somehow. These same spaces were invisible in everyone else's lives, for they never shared these parts online, and I wondered if they all had to endure the same isolation and pain. Since that first night when I discovered this magic, the liquor had not decreased in frequency. Sitting alone and drinking, I regarded a message I'd gotten on Facebook from a girl I'd actually liked. Sorry, I had fun on our date, but I just... I don't think I can keep up with you. You're so social and outgoing. I'm a homebody that mostly sits at home watching movies. I hope you understand. The laughter wouldn't stop. It grew in my chest until I couldn't breathe, until I couldn't take it, until it became humorous, screaming, powered by the blackest irony. There was no way to reconcile the powerful allure of my online life with the basic realities of my real one. I couldn't admit what I'd done, and I certainly couldn't stop. So I drank. And I drank some more. Then I took some pills for my drinking headache. Then I had a coffee. Drank some more. Then I took some pills to help me sleep. Feeling worse than I'd ever felt in my life. I took more painkillers. And then I took some more, just in case the headache came back. That's how it happens sometimes. It's not always about killing yourself. Sometimes people are just lost in wallowing and consuming tar, sinking only to be caught inescapably suffocating on their own pain. Turning my face up, out of a pool of my own vomit, I awoke to a groggy hangover, a painfully bright beam of sunlight, and over a thousand likes. Somewhere in my haze of liquor and pills, I'd posted about partying like there was no tomorrow, and the voyeurs out there had eaten it up. 
I had even taken pictures of the pills and told them it was ecstasy and nobody had even called me out though they were clearly brand marked painkillers. They didn't want to see the truth. The power of their denial was amazing. So amazing in fact that none of them wanted to believe I'd killed myself the night before. Despite the clear story played out in my posts full of lies, they wanted to believe I'd partied hard and had another best night of my life. As always, the consequences in the private hours of my life were mine alone to suffer. The first thing I noticed about an hour after waking up was that I had no heartbeat. I stood in front of the mirror without a shirt on and examined myself. There were no wounds, no bleeding, no injuries. I'd overdosed, and it had left me looking normal. Surely, this was some sort of delusion. I must have still been high on painkillers. Despite everything feeling normal, albeit a little cold, I chose to believe that I was still alive. My breath put no fog on the mirror. I couldn't feel my pulse, and a thermometer gave me body temperature startlingly low, but I refused to believe the obvious. In fact, I went to the store and bought groceries. The clerk took my money and packed the bags and said, Good day. I smiled at a random person on the street. She smiled and nodded back. I was alive. I had to be. It began getting harder to move, and I retreated to my apartment and pulled up my shirt in the privacy of my bathroom to find my skin turning purplish-gray. Frantically googling, I discovered that my cells were breaking down and my blood vessels were rupturing. What could I do? I had only one thought. Return to my addiction. Quickly taking photos before the discoloration reached my face, I grabbed as many angles and smiles as I could. Who knew if I would ever be able to take more? Hoping against all sanity, I threw stuff all over my apartment and then posed in front of it, posting crazy party last night. At least I'm feeling great today. The views and likes began rolling in. I started feeling a little better, and my mobility increased. I'd been right. The same force of collective human denial that had kept me alive in my dead body could also sustain me. I couldn't leave house for long. I had just enough time to go to work each day before making a new post, and suddenly I became the superstar of my own fake world. The grander the post, the more the likes. The more the likes, the more the rot in my limbs seemed to stall. But it never, ever reversed. Every time traffic delayed me or I had to stay late at work, another small part of me blackened a tiny bit. I managed to transition to working at home, and thankfully, for at that time I was wearing turtlenecks every day to cover up rotting sores on my neck. Working at home and the fact that I never had to eat or sleep gave me time to stage an elaborate online life, which kept me stable for several months. My face was getting purple at times, but I covered that with makeup. Awkward. I think that's what gave me away, and one like myself finally contacted me. 
Idiot, she wrote. You'll give us all away by posting like that. She gave me an address, and I showed up to a small house in the middle of the backwoods country with no idea what to expect. I only went because I'd become aware I was fighting a losing war to stay in existence. I knocked, but nobody came to the door. Eventually, I found that it was unlocked, and I pushed my way into a horrible brown miasma. For the first time, I was thankful that my numb senses could hardly detect smells. Deeper into the dark, I found her by the light of ten computer screens. I didn't actually think she was alive, or rather, animate. Most of her skeleton was exposed among rotting gobs of flesh that dripped putrid black ooze. One hand manned her keyboard, and the other manned her mouse, a decade-old corpse that had become melded to her chair. Her skull still held hair on the side closer to me, but she turned to look at me, showing white bone that had been hidden by my perspective. Her face was surprisingly intact, kept together by careful maintenance, and her eyes were the only thing about her still fully alive. Idiot, she rasped quietly. You have to be smarter about this. How long have you been doing this? I asked, mortified. A lot longer than you. She turned back and clicked on one of her screens. You gotta have more than one profile if you ever want to make headway. I stepped a little closer. What? What do you mean? I was just a skeleton in some muscle tissue two years ago, she said, her voice a soft, lifting whisper pushed out by a single moldy lung that I could see contracting until someone hacked my account and pretended to be me. I died out here, alone. And since nobody knew, I realized aloud. Exactly. If my heart had been able to beat, I might have felt a dozen things at that moment. First, though, I asked, How many of us are there? She grinned with happenessing lips. More than you know, I bet. But we get to live only as long as nobody knows about it, so they're very good at lying. She let her single lung relax for a moment before continuing. Work from home, or scan the internet for a living. No bills other than electricity since we don't eat or need water or heat. It's kind of great, isn't it? I said quickly, excited to finally talk to someone else in a genuine way in months. I'd once wished my real life could rot and fall away, and it actually had, only to leave me with remorse of what a fool I'd been. She smiled again. I moved my computer there three days later, and soon bought more to scale up our operations. For the first time in my life, my private hours were actually spent with someone else, and I found the black tar around my heart receding. She began looking and sounding more human with each passing week, and as her flesh regenerated bit by bit after every post. But of course, I'm still the one the world left behind. It wasn't exactly a fairy tale, but it was my happily ever after. Emphasis on after, and I lost the will to go on after it happened.
a breeze blew open a curtain, and a man who'd gotten lost after his truck had broken down on the forest road saw her through the window. She was still rotted all over, and he knew instantly. That was it. She fell to the ground, gone. Only her purple and black bloated corpse remained. I cleared everything out after the passerby ran away, and I found a new place to hole up, but it's just not the same. I'm not even sure people like me can ever truly come back to life, or if the best we can do is cling to a false existence in the mental spheres of humanity. But I just can't go back to being alone. I guess that's what this confession is about. I might be dead, but I still know when I've crossed the line into disgusting insanity. Thing is, I don't care. I'm not even going to tell you who I am in particular, so I'll get to keep living my false life. I'll be out there posting along with countless others of my kind, and you'll keep liking and commenting on the supposed best nights of our lives. I'm happy with this, no matter how disgusted it might be, because I'm no longer alone. She might just be a bloated corpse, but I've got a girlfriend now. She's the one you can see smiling and partying in all my pictures. You wouldn't believe what can be done with Photoshop these days. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I know that this was a little bit shorter than what we normally do, but uh, I'm just really busy right now. Got a lot of shit going on IRL, so did what I could. Hope you enjoyed it. I do have a question really quick. Um, relating to the first story, have you ever spent the night in a supposed haunted hotel? Like, maybe one that you just heard rumors about, or maybe one that marketed itself as a haunted hotel. Have you ever stayed in one? And if you did, what did you experience, if anything? I would love to hear your stories. Let me know down in the comment section below. See you all very soon with a brand new video. And as always, stay safe out there.